Welcome to the Set Yourself Free podcast, real stories of ending emotional abuse and taking your life back. I'm your host, Carrie Veach, owner of Set Yourself Free. I am a life and success coach that believes we all have limitless potential within us with the right tools and support. Trauma or past hurt might be a part of your story, but it does not have to be the entire story. We all have different versions of what freedom means, and I'm here to help you unlock your perfect version of how to set yourself free. Join us for season three, where we follow five extremely brave women who share their stories of what it took to get to the other side of trauma and abuse. Through listening to their stories, you will know that you are not alone, that shame can only grow in secret, and that it absolutely does get better on the other side. By hearing their stories, you will gain insight and tools for ways that you can access your own power and do the work to set yourself free. All of the magic you need is waiting deep inside of you, and these women are here to help you tap into it. Let's dive in. What were the initial steps you took to seek out help and or make a change from your situation? Belinda? The... Most important thing I did, and I didn't, this is going to, there's a lot of people who like now, if I were going to look at somebody and say, you've got to get out, this is what you have to do. I would say, you've got to talk to somebody. I can also look back and, and refer to what I was talking about a minute ago, where you think there's really nobody to talk to. Mm. So for me, I started journaling and I started really trying to write down what was true for me. Um, Belinda, you are successful. You are a strong person. You have, and then I would list all of the things that I perceived as having been strong things that I've done in my life. I just kept writing those down and kept concentrating on them. And I also (laughs) randomly left that journal out one day and he read it. Mm. And so that became a whole other situation, but I was, I was random enough in the journal that I could kind of like blow it off and say, Oh, well, I was just going through a workbook, but he knew something was going on, but that is how controlling the situation was at that point. So the first thing I did was I went back to myself and I started Mm -hmm. to ask what was really true. And I can say, I can articulate it now. Now then I couldn't articulate it, but yeah. then it was the only thing I needed to do. I knew that if I was going to get out of it, it was going to be on me. There was nobody coming to save me. The, the, the guy that I thought was going to save me was the guy that was really helping me go through this hell. So I was going to have to be the one to make the decisions. That was the, the main thing that I did. And that was, yeah, those are the two things that I personally did. Cause you know, for me, counseling didn't work. They blamed it on me. So yeah. <laughs> it had to come from me and I was not going down like that. So, well, that just crazy. speaks to, I feel like, I don't know the right word. Cause I don't want to say like your former self, but yourself before the relationship that speaks to how much before you got into this relationship, you did have a sense of self, whether it was like, fully formed or whatever, if you're naive or not, but you had a sense that you could trust yourself. And so for you to go back to saying, I had to trust myself and I had to return to who I knew I was, like that's empowering to know that you were able to do that. I take that as a real gift considering I know so many people, I actually know, like randomly people talk to me about being in these relationships and they maybe they never had any sense of they they never felt successful they never felt like oh no i'm cool i'm good to hang out with <laughs> which we yeah. have like whatever you totally are but they maybe they weren't able to to pull from those experiences but i still came back to if i am going to live on this planet for however much longer i'm going to live do i want to live like this mm. and the answer was no and as soon as I knew the answer was no, now I knew that having that re- that conversation face to face with him was not going to work. Sure. I didn't know he, he had never been violent with me. He never was like physically violent, but I knew that I was not going to be able to say it to his face. Mm. So you know, then you know, thank God for email, but <laughs> some people are like, that's such a wimpy way to break up. You know what? Just get out. Yeah. <laughs> Just get out. 
do what you have to do. There's no honor at this point when someone has ripped you down to the place you can't even see who you, you know, see, see who you are at this moment. You're having to reach back in and find your strength. Mm. And I will say this, and I don't know if any of your listeners will, will resonate with it, but I really didn't know much at that point about uh, emotionally abusive and verbally abusive relationships. I was really conditioned that they had to be physically abusive before it's really abusive. Because otherwise, you know, it's just words. What sticks and stones can break your bones, but words can never hurt you. Mm -hmm. That was a misnomer. But I, (laughs) I actually would pray that he would hit me. I prayed so many times that he would hit me because then I would know I wasn't crazy. It was yep. so twisted. So if any of you, anybody has that, if you are praying that you mm-hmm. get hit, so you'll be sure that you're not the crazy one, then, Hey, there you have it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's your answer. So yeah, that was a really, uh, really bizarre. And to this day, like if he would have hit me, I really, without question, believe I would have been out of it sooner, but I kept flipping it back to, am I crazy? Am I making it wrong? Questioning myself in every possible way until the, the, the fake shotgun came out. Then I was like, I don't care if I'm crazy. I have to get out of this. Yeah. Well, and that's such a normal thing. And that is a common thing from so many women that I talk to is that the automatic response is to think it's not that bad. It's not physical because we're so conditioned, like exactly what you just said. We're so conditioned to think that, oh, it's only when somebody's physically hurting us. And that's just not true. (laughs) If you, if you could, if I would picture it, he was like emotionally beating me with a ball bat every day. It just, there was no physical evidence of it. There was one day we were going to church (laughs) Um, (laughs) and he had a Jeep that didn't have a a top or doors. And he had, he was, uh, who knows what he was yelling at me about that day. And I was in the passenger seat, uh, bent over like, you know, at the waist with my head on my knees, looking to the outside, weeping, like sobbing. Mm. And we were at a stoplight and a man in the car next to me rolled his window down and said, do you need help? Mm. And the light turned green and we went on to church. So, (laughs) I mean, Mm. that's. How and and we can all when I tell that story, it's so Belinda. Of course, you had to get out of that, but man, you and and I think we talked about this. But when you get into one of these relationships, you're you don't go in signing up for it. You don't go in like, oh, this will be great. I this is a hot guy and and or a hot girl and and I want to be most abused that would be awesome <laughs> right. just go in and it's like going through the alphabet you're at a then it goes to b then to c and then one day you wake up and you're at q and you're mm. like holy cow how did i get to q yeah. and so then you take then then it's okay the first thing i'm going to tell anybody is find your strength and forgive yourself mm. it's all right it happens jess saying the specific details out loud because they need those things in order to assess the type of trauma you're dealing with. And I was diagnosed with uh, complex mm-hmm. post-traumatic stress disorder, um, which is a bit different than, than regular PTSD. Um, and so they need those mm-hmm. details in order to make that distinction. So I understand, of course, being educated in that I have the advantage of understanding why they ask the questions that they ask. Whereas someone coming in who didn't have the education that I had, I could imagine it would just be absolutely terrifying. Well, and also, I mean, yeah, of course. And then you're in this situation where you're really trying to seek out help and they have no idea why maybe you're holding back and then whether they're creating a story around that. But for you to you know, be able to even say like, Hey, two people is terrifying for me to talk to. Yeah, Uh. it was, it was a lot for sure. The the worst part was just like going through the details of things and, um, and Mm. 
again, too, it wasn't someone that I was seeing more than once. It was more for an assessment diagnosis. Um, I think I saw mm. that same psychologist maybe two more times, and she um, was the first person to help me get on medication. I was very opposed to medication for a very long time. I didn't want to um, start a medication that I was going to have to be on the rest of my life, all this kind of stuff. So I did a lot of research and um, some, you know, some doctors that I spoke to uh, let me know that medication is kind of like a, um, not really like a lifetime thing, but more so to uh, prevent overwhelm during the therapeutic process. And once I understood it from that direction, it made it a lot easier to try it. And just uh, just knowing that it's not necessarily the Band-Aid that's going to be covering it up forever, but something that's going to yeah. make the therapeutic process better. And I wish a lot more people would understand that about medication because like people that I talk to about those kinds of things, uh, they share my previous beliefs where medication was just something that they did not want to do. But when you understand it yeah. as like a, a crutch to help you get through the therapeutic process, I think it's a lot uh, easier to understand and easier to digest as, as another tool to help you in your recovery. Mm. So you seek out help this mm-hmm. way. You change your mindset around medication. Were there other steps that were helpful at this point? Um. I did go in and seek out a couple of different support groups. Um, mm. The help that I find found in the support groups wasn't necessarily the kind of help that you would go to support groups for. So when I was going, as much as it was um, healing to connect with others who had been through similar things, um, there were a lot of older people in the support groups. And it really, mm. like put in my face what my life could look like if I didn't deal with this as early as possible. Ooh. You know, like, like people yeah. yeah, who are well into their sixties and they're only now able to deal with the traumas they experienced in childhood. And that to me, like having an entire life of reacting mm. to the things that have happened to you when you were a kid, when you were the most vulnerable ever, Uh, that to me would just be an absolute nightmare. And so it made me very thankful for the recognition of the trauma and the abuse at the time that it happened, even though I wish it, it, you know, would have happened earlier or I'd been able to ask for help at the time. Um, I'm just glad that it didn't take my entire life to realize what was going on with me. What a beautiful lesson, Uh, honestly. Yeah, it was, it was a really big takeaway for me. Um, and yeah, I I went to a couple support groups a couple different times, but it was it was hard for me to continue because that was so in my face and that was so like pervasive out throughout the whole time. Was just and and being trained at like you know training as a counselor and doing all these things, I just wanted to support them. So I found myself kind <laughs> of lacking in what I would want to share or having people focus on my issues, and I was more so focusing on other people. And as as healing and as as fulfilling as that is, it wasn't what I needed at the time. Right. You needed to be able to be supported and let that be okay. Exactly, exactly. I think that was a big struggle for me as well. Renee. Yeah, it was really practical. And again, um, I, I'm very grateful that there was very healthy people in that environment for me to mm. turn to. Uh, that lady introduced me to a very small select, um, two women actually, mm. uh, that she explained um, had dealt with this type of thing uh, their whole life, not only um, in, the, uh, in their roles. Uh, they were social workers and um, they were ministers, but they were social workers in their younger years. Um, and social workers, and, and they also volunteered in the community with child abuse survivors. So straight away, I felt like, hang on, at least they'll get me. Um, I didn't really know what that meant, but it, it <laughs> felt like, okay, well, they're not a complete stranger. It's not like I'm going to go and see this super spiritual Christian that's going to hit me on there with the Bible or something, you know. It really did yeah. sort of bring my walls down. I thought, oh, this might work. And they were gentle and they were kind. One lady was an older lady and she was like the grandmother I never had. Mm. Uh, And the other lady was like the mother I never had. And they were just so gentle, comforting and encouraging and praiseworthy. I'd never had praise. Mm. They would see how I would dress 
my daughter, when I would come and see them, they were, they were like, you've done such a great job and, and look at how gentle you are. Just very little things. And mm. I was like, whoa, no one's done this before. So I started spending more time with them. I started spending time and surrounding myself with healthy people that made me feel good and weren't trying to take something off me. Mm. It was no longer about what I could give to this person, what they could get from me being in their life. They actually were constantly offering me things. Uh, so it was a little bit overwhelming at the beginning because I was like, whoa, ulterior motives, what's going on? <laughs> so I was wired, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody does anything just out of the goodness of their heart, surely not. And then they started teaching me about things like boundaries, Mm. Um, started teaching me about identity Mm. and, you know, we're created for something bigger than ourselves. So I did one very deep, a big drastic change though. I'd I'd already um, completely stopped drugs and alcohol before I um, had fallen pregnant with my daughter, but I still had a social circle somewhat of those kinds of people. Because mm-hmm. um, we'd been friends for many years, and what I realised once I started understanding that they weren't really my friends, I I did what I say was like clearing the decks, and I cut off and distanced myself. Some some slowly and carefully because I was like, oh, I don't know how this is going to go, and I was quite fearful of confrontation. And yeah. others just cut them off. And what I realised was, I spent probably about three or four months feeling quite lonely and isolated Mm. with those people no longer there. Mm -hmm. However, in hindsight, within months, just a couple of months on from there, I realised that couple of months of loneliness really wasn't loneliness. It was just learning to be with me. Mm. I had never just been with me because I didn't like me. Sure. So all of a sudden having time with just myself and my daughter and, and reading and doing things that were quiet time rather than that constant crisis, you know, behaviour, it mm. was awkward and it was like putting sure. on a new pair of shoes. You had to break that in. So practical steps was getting people around me that mm. were healthy, that were good and cutting off those that weren't to make room for the new. And that was hard. And like I said, it, it felt lonely. But again, I knew if I stayed, it could it could influence me or my behaviour, uh, or it could could harm my daughter. Mm. So, did these women help you in those steps of really setting up those boundaries of changing your friend circle? Did you feel yeah. like they were there for that? Yeah, look, they just they just invited me for coffee. They were like, "Look, <laughs> what's your routine like with your baby? So, when's the best time for you? Well, we can come to you, Renee, or if you want to meet us here." And I always wanted to meet them because my um, my husband it, it was a seventeen year long narcissistic. A very controlling, manipulative relationship between he and I. So any chance to take Cassidy out of the house, you know, oh, no, I need to go to the shop and get away from that. It was like these two alternate universes. I had the home life mm-hmm. where everything, again, was still quite on edge and, and not healthy. And then I had this alternate reality somewhere I could escape to now that was healthy and that started to make me feel good. So they just inquire and sort of say, okay, so what's your support network like? And I was like, my what? (laughs) (laughs) It really was talking a foreign language. And at the beginning I felt so stupid because Mm. I was like, well, what do you mean? And they're like, oh, that's okay. They never made me feel Mm. inferior. They never made me feel silly. They were like, oh, you know, what we mean is I was like, oh, okay. So Mm. it was literally sharing life with people. Mm. you know really the things now that I take so much for granted whereas that was instrumental human connection inquiry actually being interested in my life what I needed they thought I was funny they thought (laughs) I had things that I could have never seen in myself they were actually the women that started or helped me believe that I actually had talents in the way that I made people feel that I had the gift of encouragement on my life and it started tapping into my parts and I, parts of me and, I guess, uh, waking them up mm. um, that really led me to be doing what I am today, which is coaching abuse survivors. But back then I could never have seen what it was going to become. So, yeah. again, yeah, they, they just introduced me to one day at a time, practical steps, be kind to yourself, they were the ones that taught me about mindset, 
um, positive affirmations, all these kinds of things. It was like this awakening, but not in this scary, weird way. They made it seem so normal and gentle and non-confrontational. So it very much was a blessing to me because if it would have been too full on, I think I think it would have been a, a slower journey. I probably would have still stuck it out, but it would have, I would have um, been overwhelmed with that because at that stage I could only handle little baby steps. Yeah. What a gift. I mean, yeah. honestly, because exactly how you're describing it is what I think so many people need in this world. And yes. that is both the sense that you were willing and available to learn about something totally outside of your comfort zone that you did mm. not have context for, but then you were given the gift of these people that were non-judgmental and willing to meet you where you were and I think that so often that's what's lacking for people, right? It's meeting people exactly where they are without judgment Absolutely. and that safe space of what that provides like is mm. priceless. It is absolutely, it was life-saving. It made me feel normal, mm. whatever normal is. But for me, I was yeah. like, oh my gosh, I didn't feel every, I'd gone through my whole life meeting people straight away feeling like, oh my gosh, I felt naked every time I met someone in, in the term of they can see that I'm not good, they can see I'm not clever, they can see I'm, you know, unlovable, they can see I'm not pretty. They, it was all inferior yeah. talk. Yeah. They were the exact opposite mm. but in a way that wasn't like, you know, you weren't like, come on, get off, too much. Yeah. It was just very natural. Like I said, they took like the mother and the grandmother role and they taught me how to be a good mum to my daughter as well. They taught me really practical behaviour strategies with Cassidy when she was a baby. She was quite a, a stubborn baby that didn't like to sleep very much and she really challenged me and they taught me how to be a good mum and, and basically explained to me that's normal that you feel like that. That's normal. We, we don't just instinctively know this stuff. So they really did break down those walls for me. Well, and I love that and you speaking to that because I think also like with this podcast, with everything that I know as well is the power of not being alone in your experience mm. because we all feel alone. And then it's like when you just reach out and you talk to someone and you get to have that me too moment, mm -hmm. you're just like, oh, okay, I can breathe again. Yeah, and and like I said, it, it's even as I'm talking about it right now, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, how crazy is it to be 26 years old and actually start really realizing I was being introduced to things that were so foreign to me, yet today just so so normal to mm -hmm. the majority of the world. You know, just a healthy conversation and people that care about you. You know, I was just like, whoa, this is a little <laughs> bit crazy. You know, yeah. I mean, that's just so sad. It's so sad because there's people in that situation now and, and you're right, you know, the whole reason I do what I do and the whole reason I write my book and the whole reason I aired all my dirty laundry was because I want people to know that they're not alone mm. because that, that's the big thing, isolation and loneliness. It, 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 they kill. They really do. They kill and destroy and they keep us small and it's, and it's such a lie. It really is. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's, and that's where shame grows, right? I mean, mm -hmm. everything we know about shame is the antidote to that is sharing your stories in safe spaces and exactly not being alone in those stories. Yeah, totally. Totally. Sharing the, and you know, I bring it back to that day that I walked in with those ladies sharing their stories. That was the mm -hmm. first grain of hope that wasn't fleeting. And what I mean by that is, you know, sometimes you'd have a good day and a good day for me would be maybe not being wasted and not being beaten up or in a bad situation, maybe just chilling at home that day. That, that was a good day. Yeah. And, you know, that, that became habit forming for me. Mm. So, you know, to, to sort of start hearing people share their story, I'd had glimmers of hope in the past when you have a good day going, oh, maybe things can get better and, you know, maybe this boyfriend's not as bad as the last one. But it's it's gone within a moment. Whereas that day when I left, it played on my mind for days and weeks and months after that. Even as I was going through my healing journey and, and I was meeting these ladies and doing all these things, my brain constantly went back 
to what they were saying, to words that they'd said, to the looks on their faces, to their body language. So it really absolutely was a very, very powerful moment that Mm -hmm. sat in my subconscious um, Mm -hmm. for years and years and years to come. Mm, I love that. It's just such a gift that all of that was placed, you know, in your life at exactly the right time and what that planted a seed in you for later of the work that you're doing now. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a big part, and and you said it before, Kerry, it was a lot of the time it does come back to how willing we are, Mm. how willing we are to really put everything on the line, whether it's in business, whether it's in your personal life, you know, where are you? And like I said before, is the pain of of where you are Mm. (laughs) bad enough to make you risk it all? even if it doesn't work out, you know, that pain point, where is it for, for you? And, and mine was right up there. So I knew I was ready to go all in. But sometimes we teeter on the outside of that going, uh, and I always say now we have the power of choice. And one of the biggest gifts I ever received was once I learnt, learnt that, that I had yep. choice to say no, to say I don't like that, that I don't want to do that. And I will never, ever give up the power of choice ever again. I, I didn't have as, as a child. It was taken off me. As soon yep. as I received it back, I will not give that up for anybody. And now mm-hmm. I've instilled that in my children. And the longer we play the victim game, which I was very, very good at, didn't yep. do it on purpose, but I was damn good at it. Yeah. I was constantly giving that power and control back to the people that were hurting me. So once I gained some perspective around that, I was like, whoa, and that propelled me out of that victim mentality very quickly and that's why one of my hashtags is refuse to be a victim because I actually (laughs) hate that word. And what I mean when I say I hate that word, for when I chose to stay there. Yeah. You know, when I was going through my abuse and healing, I was a victim. But coming out the other side, I'm not a victim. You know, I have power of choice. I am resourceful. You know, I can be well. So I didn't want to stay in that place. So it really did push me out of that. And so it, it very much was a gift because I was willing to go all in. Heather. Um, I would have to say that originally things started, I got married very young. I did the military marriage I was really sick. I thought that if I got married, it would have to work because you're married and that you got to do that. (laughs) And it was, it was, I wish I knew now what I did then because I was still a kid back then. I was still whatever toxic, but I started at a very young age of self-help books Mm. of, okay, something, something. And little bits at a time I'd take in or when people would help me or whoever influenced my life, I'd take that piece with me. Okay, I'm going to take this good with me. Mm. And as time went on, I ended up getting my divorce. And it was right around, it's only been a couple of years because we separated long before we got divorced. Mm. And I wanted to be a better person. I wanted to. So I read self-help books. I'd listen to YouTube stuff. I went into talk therapy. I I always just knew. It, it's always been in my gut that there's more. Keep going. Mm. There's more. Keep going. And so whatever it was, be it in massage school, I took on, I loved cranial sacral therapy. I had so many releases from cranial sacral and I wasn't able. So <laughs> back step. I was, the last time that I was raped was in a massage Mm. and I walked into massage school and that kind of healed some of it. Mm. It took me a while to be touched. (laughs) Yeah. But when I was a little girl, everyone said, Heather, you're going to be a massage therapist. You're going to be a massage therapist. And I said, no, I'm not. I love giving massages. You all say that when you work, it's stupid and you hate your jobs and I don't want to hate massaging. (laughs) And so the last male person that abused me, it was during a massage. And it 
it was not easy for me to make that choice, but I knew I had to. Mm. I knew I had to go into massage school. And that opened up a whole new level of being able to be touched again because I was terrified. Even though I was sleeping with people and stuff like that, it was on the level of I was doing it because I felt like I had to because I was dating somebody or with somebody. Mm. Not on the level of I want to be touched or I'm just learning in the last six months consent, I guess, for my own self. Mm. But hey, I don't like this. I don't have to do that. Yeah. And so in massage school, I learned even more. And then I went on to become, or I went on to go into uh, holistic health coaching to learn a little bit more. And each pieces I would just take and not everything stuck, but I, I learned what I was supposed to and I'd move on. And I get these tingles in my body that say, this is your next step. Yep. Do this. This mm-hmm. is your next step. Yep. Do this. And I just, I always had that feeling of, okay, keep healing. And I had so much baggage and armor, I like to call it my armor, mm-hmm. that I've protected myself. And I started taking one piece off at a time and one piece off at a time. And it was just books and listening to people and doing anything that anyone threw at me. Hey, try this. Frankie, hey, try that. Hey, and little pieces by little pieces, I just kept going. I love that because I think for so many people, it always is a combination. I mean, a lot of people have a very pivotal moment of when, okay, has to change. Enough is enough, right? Like people can often point to that. Not everyone, but people often can, right? Like there's a very distinct moment where you've like basically gotten sick of your own bullshit because you're like, well, all happened to me, but healing's my responsibility. I get that. So I have to take that on. But generally it's never just like, oh, this one thing worked magic, Mm -hmm. you know, because Mm -hmm. if it were, everyone would do it and it would be so easy. Right. And yet it's just the more honest conversations I have like this, the more people are like, yeah, it was a combination of this and this. And I, I just was willing because I was so available for my life to change. Yeah. I, uh, I would never say do this. This is your, your get out of jail free card <laughs> because even now I'm still learning new things new things or someone has taught me the same thing five times and I couldn't I wasn't ready to heal or I wasn't ready to move on or I wasn't ready and then all of a sudden it clicks and I go oh okay it was that easy Mm. but I had a lot of stuff I had to break through before it could be easy and that's the one thing that drives me nuts it's easy just do this it's easy just do this when you have this much you have to unearth it. You have to uproot it. You have to. Mm-hmm. And not everybody wants to do that yeah. because it's intense, but it's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, excuse me, it's something that not everybody is prepared for, isn't the best thing, but yeah. it, it's deep. And if you want to truly take that weight off going deep is the best thing you could ever do for yourself but only do it in in scenarios where you have support or you have a coach or you have a mentor or you have somebody that is willing to hold that container for you while you rip all this stuff up and that's the one thing I'm thankful of I hired coaches I hired people and I've been working with my coach now for a year and she said today, she goes, you wouldn't have been able to deal with half this stuff a year ago. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true though. I mean, that's the thing. And it's such a gift, right? When you're able to allow yourself to receive that support from other people, because I've been talking about this a lot recently, but Pride, ego, shame, all those things will keep you from getting help and support. 
And if you can just take that first scary step to reach out to someone or, you know, hopefully of listening to a podcast like this where there's multiple women sharing their stories. And it's often the theme of pretty much everyone who's been on the show and continues to be on the show is like smart, driven females. And so there's a shame factor of like, I should have known better. How did this happen to me? Right. And instead, if we're just able to shift that and be like, huh, okay, here's what happened to me. I'm not going to make it mean anything about me as a human. And I'm going to deal with my shit and I'm going to find some support and help around that. And everyone gets to win in that process. <laughs> it's It took me a long time because I had to be the strong one all the time, or I felt like I had to be. Yep. I shut my emotions down. I shut pleasure down. I shut everything down. I lived for whatever guy I was with. I lived for whatever friend that needed me, my parents, whoever it was, I lived for that. Yep. And I was shamed because I talked about depression. I was shamed because I talked about sex. I was shamed because Heather, you're not supposed to be talking about those things. And I said, why? Why not? Other people need to hear this. Other people need to talk about this. Other people need this because there's other people going through it. I know there is. If I'm going through it, somebody else has to. And if I'm not talking about it, they think they're alone. Mm -hmm. And it took a long time to realize that. And that, I mean, I have my own beliefs. I have my own things. That's not yours. I'm not going to push it on you. I will gladly sit here and listen to yours and listen to you and, and, I like to call myself like the purple party because <laughs> I'm a little bit of this and a little bit of that politically. And I'm like, why can't we all just talk? Why can't we all just get along? And, but it's, it's goes deeper into, I'm okay talking about sex. I'm okay about talking about suicide. I'm okay about talking about depression. I'm okay about sitting there, but somebody needs to talk about it because yeah. if they can't talk about it, that's what drives them to even more solitude and more loneliness. And if they see other strong women going, hey, I can do this too. I just need to figure out how. Holy hell, how everything else will change. 100%. 100%. I mean, that's <laughs> so my life mission too. Because it's just like shame grows in secret. We know this. And the antidote to it is bringing it into the light and having conversations in safe spaces. Mm -hmm. Stephanie. Yeah, well, so I'm at my friend's house sleeping on her couch, and it was a pull-out couch. Comfortable. Mm -hmm. And I was just happy. I just remember laying there and thinking like, oh my God, I'm finally out. Mm -hmm. Like, I was just, it was this freeing feeling at the same time as being a little bit scared. And it was good that the friend that offered this was so great because her and I have known each other since middle school, but we don't spend a lot of time together. So there's no way he would have ever thought that that was where I was staying. He mm. wouldn't have known that unless he followed me, which I did have to make sure that he wasn't doing because there yeah. were times when I was a little bit fearful for my safety in that sense too. Um, but, you know, at first he was fighting me on everything. I mean, he stayed living in the house that I owned. Mm. I was paying the mortgage. I had my dogs there. There was a fear for a little bit that he was going to do something to my dogs. He was an animal person, but he did threaten sometimes when I had said I was going to leave in the past. He would do something to the house or do something to the dogs. But I was so like just decided that I was going to get myself out. I didn't care if he burned the house down. I didn't, I, I honestly, at that point, didn't even care if something happened to the dogs. And I, I loved them so much, but I loved myself more yeah. and I couldn't stay trapped for all the, all of those things. Like I could survive and I could get out. So, you know, he fought me on it for a while. And then he finally said, fine, I'm going to, I'll let you get a divorce. Still trying and, and in his mind, trying to get us back together, even though he was still behaving the same way he had behaved the whole time, but I was no longer dealing with it. I was trying to be nice on the friendly surface level to try to still get what I wanted to get him out of the house. He was still trying to get back into my life because in the past, it had always been come back together, break up, get back together. And that was, that was the cycle we had been in for years. So I think I threw him off a bit when I was like, no, we are not doing this anymore. He was really hoping that he was going to get it back. And he threatened me. I actually, things got way worse before they got better. So once finally my ex was out of the house, I got back into my house. He got an apartment. 
And I was in like newly back in and I went out for uh, drinks with a friend of mine and she decided all of a sudden out of the blue to leave. And I had just finished a drink and I was like, I don't know if I'm like really ready to drive. And she's like, well, we're out of here. So she leaves. She was the one driving. We get back to her place and she was like, all right, see you later. She was in this like really crappy mood. And I was at a point where I still had not found my voice. So Mm. instead of me saying, Hey, can I come in the house? I Mm. got into my car and I sat there and I was like, I don't really think I can drive. But I, and I didn't really even know what to do. And at that point, like nowadays, Ubers and Lyfts and stuff like that, they're everywhere. But at at that point in, in 2012, it was not popular yet. So I got in the car, I drove down the block and I said, uh, I am not ready to drive. This is, this is not a good thing. And I sit in a, and I park my car, I'm sitting at a gas station and all of a sudden I see lights all over and somehow, I don't know if there was like a camera at that gas station, the police were called with an ambulance and there's all these people around my car and I look and I'm like, I'm fine. I'm not driving, you know, whatever. I got taken into, uh, into jail, spent the night in jail and I got a DWI. <laughs> I had never gotten detention. Well, I did once wow. in school, but I was not in trouble. Like I was not a troublemaker. I thought I was doing the right thing, but I learned the hard way that in New York, if your keys are in your pocket, or even in the ignition, I was trying to stay warm because it was actually a cold, rainy summer day. And I was trying to stay warm. I wasn't driving anywhere. I knew I couldn't drive. And you can get a DWI for intent to drive, even though I wasn't doing it. And I was just sitting, keeping warm in the car. So I was on probation for three years. I had to go in for probation. I had one of those interlocks in my car. And um, after that, I got a blood clot. My grandmother passed away. Um, I had started dating a guy who ghosted me and I fell into a major depression and I couldn't get out of bed. I could barely eat. I was, you know, I was like, this is supposed to be better. What, what, what is going on that it's, everything is just this much worse. I, and my, because I was on probation, I really couldn't go to my grandmother's funeral because it was just too difficult to get there with all the red tape of flying internationally. And so I wasn't even able to go. And so there was just so much anger and frustration and, and just stress and, just like, why? Why is this happening to me? And I would just sit there, well, more like lay there in the fetal position, watching videos on self-help and thinking, you know, trying to say to myself, this too shall pass. Like, this has got to get better. There's got to be more. And um, I sprained my ankle at work. <laughs> it was like just after, no, I had pink eye and then I sprained my oh, ankle gosh. at work. Yeah. It was like every three weeks, something like terrible is happening. And I was like, I seriously, I get to the emergency room and my, my job had called my ex-husband because he was still on my emergency card. So I'm in the emergency room in like this room, they had just done an x-ray and they come back to like, it's not broken. It's just a bad sprain, you know, go see a a orthopedic doctor, whatever. And all of a sudden I just start laugh crying. And the doctor's looking at me like I'm crazy. My ex-husband's standing there. And it was like this voice came over me and the voice said to me, you know, you've always been your own knight in shining armor. And I was like, huh. And I heard it so clearly. It was such this clarity and it was such an aha moment for me. And I said, huh, all of this time it's been me, but it's not my fault. It's not me making it this way. It's that I'm not learning the lesson that I need to learn. And that that mm. moment of being in the emergency room with this sprained ankle, I finally got out of my depression. I was reading the Celestine Prophecy. And actually, the interesting thing is like, uh, I don't know if it was book two, but it was all of a sudden like that next, I came home with a sprained ankle. I opened up the next page and the guy, the character in the book sprains his ankle. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, this is so weird. <laughs> like, this is so weird. And I just started to open myself up and things started to, I really went into this discovery phase of, I swear, like the lights were brighter, sounds were were richer, everything. It was like this wool had been lifted off of my eyes and and everything. It was an awakening. I mean, and I suddenly was awakened to the beauty of life and and wonderful. And I, I traveled, I did everything that felt good. I stayed away from things that felt bad. And you know, it took a little bit of while of just, just completely focusing on me. I got a therapist. I had a, a business coach. I had all these people to support me and, and help me build my tribe. Again, I reconnected with friends, all of that kind of stuff. And then when I was decided that I was just going to be single the rest of my life, because I loved being single that much, mm-hmm. I met this really amazing guy 
that I tried to break up with. And every time I would break up with him, I would look into his big blue eyes and, and I would feel like there was something like terrible that was going to happen if I broke up with him. And I would be like, fine, I won't break up with him this time. I'll do it next time. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and then I, I think it was like the third time that I was going to do it. I was like, you know, I think I'm just going to give this guy a chance. He's really, he's checking off everything that if I was going to be with someone, all of those things, but there was still a little bit of that fear because in the past, every time it seemed good, they'd flip a switch and they'd become something else. So the good thing though, about me not jumping right into that relationship and allowing a few years to go by was that I allowed him to show me who he was and I believed him. Mm. You know, it wasn't like I was trying to look at the possibility of him or the potential of him. We became best friends while I was kind of holding him at arm's length. And he was really, he was, I joked around, I'm like, you'd be terrible at poker because he was like, these are my cards. Are they good? (laughs) (laughs) And it was so genuine and so real. And it was such a good reality check that there were those kind of amazing men out there. And so we've now been married um, four and a half years. We have a almost four-year-old, or I guess, yeah, four and a half years, almost four-year-old son and a 15-month-old daughter. And I get to be married to my best friend and he's all, he's into spirituality and I mean, checked off everything on my list and it's just, things are wonderful. And I never could have gotten here had I not gotten rid of what wasn't serving me before. Mm, I mean, there's so many beautiful lessons in everything you just said. And so much of it to me starts with that piece where you said you felt like you didn't have your voice and the journey you had to go through, you know, of figuring out how to find that. And it's so easy. And where I see so many women keep themselves stuck of feeling like they can't do it. The answers are outside of themselves. Everyone else must have the secret that we don't have. And yet you had to go through that journey and figure out how to find that. And to yeah. it's, and it's not even like it was necessarily lost. Like sometimes it's word semantics, but mm-hmm. figuring out that that was inside of you and just tap into that. Yeah, I mean, I remember my my best friend. My literally, my best friend is a psychiatrist. Like not because she's a psychiatrist, but we've been best friends since seventh grade. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, she's she's always been my rock. And when things were going badly, I would fall off you know, fall off the radar. And she would say, she's like, I know, I know something's going on with you, but you're just not telling me. And it would make her sad because I was embarrassed to tell her. Mm -hmm. And she would say to me, you know, Stephanie, things can get better. You can have a healthy relationship. You can have all those things. And I remember her telling me that. And and I would feel almost defensive and think, but you might be able to do that, Mm -hmm. but I can't. I really genuinely felt that I couldn't, like she's been happily, had been happily married and had all these great, wonderful things that seemed so beautiful. And I wanted those things. I just didn't think they were possible for me. And she was actually telling me that when she listened to the first podcast that I ever did and shared my story out loud, really for the first time, she said she went in the bathroom and cried. And she said, Mm -hmm. it just made me so sad that you were going through this and you couldn't reach out to me. And I said, I couldn't really reach out to anybody. And the one or two people that I was telling, I got kind of tired of even telling them. Like I didn't even want to hear myself talk about it anymore. I was just so, I was so good. I'd been so ingrained in keeping secrets, mm-hmm. you know, the family secrets, the marriage yep. secrets, all of those secrets that were being kept that weren't helping anybody, you know, it just was keeping me trapped. Thank you for being here, for listening to this super, super important podcast. Obviously, I am biased, but I am really obsessed with it because I know it is life-changing. I hear from y'all. I know how important these topics are because they are not being talked about enough. And they need to be. And so that's why I'm here. And that's why I'm bridging the gap. And that's why all of these women are here. And I am ridiculously grateful for their stories, for them showing up for themselves, for them showing up for you. And so I hope what you took away from this week's episode is that it is 1000% okay and completely encouraged to seek out support. And None of us do it alone, like literally none of us. And so we have to shatter this myth and this belief that we are better off alone, that we don't get to be supported, that we are not worthy of support, and that there's anything bad, wrong, or shameful about support. 
because there's not. And when you get the gift of excellent support, you understand this. And no one is ever going to do it perfectly and nobody's ever going to show up for you 100% of the time and never let you down in some fashion. That is absolutely not the lesson. And the lesson is not to be so disappointed when there is a misstep if there's such a thing. I, I don't really believe in mistakes or failures or any of that necessarily. Um, but what I do believe in is showing up and risking and being vulnerable and just allowing yourself that gift to try it on and also to trust that everyone is doing the best they can to support you when they get to to be on that journey with you. And so grace is the name of the game. It is the name of the game I have learned so freaking much about this past year um, and whole new levels that I, I thought I knew about so, so long ago. And there there's always a new level and new depth. So we're always evolving and changing. That's for sure. So This week, I hope that you are encouraged to find support, to seek out support, to know that your life is worth it. And I personally love nothing more than supporting my clients. It is quite frankly, the highest honor of my life that women trust me in some of their most sacred spaces in their life that I get to be on the journey with them. So if that's you, if you have no idea what support could mean or look like, I just use this opportunity as a calling to say, let's get on the phone. I do not want you to live alone in this world. I do not want you to know what it's like to live without support. I want you to have all the support in the world so you can be out in the world, taking up space, being that bold, beautiful you. And I know that none of us do it by ourselves. So if you're feeling called, if you have the desire to see what in the world one-on-one coaching is about, please, please, please give it a chance. Head on over to my website and let's talk. I would love nothing more than to support you. And if you are supported in your life, I am just so grateful. So keep on leaning into that support. Keep on knowing that none of us do it alone. And we will see you next week for another fantastic deep dive into these women's stories. Thank you so much for listening to the Set Yourself Free podcast. I am incredibly grateful that you are here supporting me and these brave guests. If you can do me a favor and take one minute to share this episode with someone that needs to hear it, I would be so grateful. And if you are willing, please go leave us a review. Each month, I will be choosing a reviewer to give a free coaching session to as a thank you for listening. One thing I know for certain is that we will forever be as sick as our secrets. Shame has no ability to grow when we share our stories in safe spaces. I'm more encouraged than you could possibly know by those that are willing to speak up, ask for help, and share with us that we are not alone. So don't forget, head on over to my website at setyourselffreellc.com, grab your free journal, and book a free 30-minute call with me to talk about the number one mindset block stopping you from the money and impact you desire to have, and one thing that you can do this week to shift it. Thanks again for being here, and we will see you next week.